Hey everyone, I'm Joe Chicarone, and this is Built Not Born, episode 98. Today's guest is Charlie Vinch. Charlie Vinch is a former MMA fighter, black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, Muay Thai instructor, and founder of Budo Martial Arts. Charlie and I discuss what it was like being bullied as a child, what drew him into martial arts. We discuss what he learned from Tony Robbins, the power of gratitude, why we need to take action on our goals right now, and of course, some jujitsu. Charlie is such a thoughtful, interesting guy. He is a martial artist. He is a parent to young kids. Charlie puts a lot of thought in his daily routine, in his actions, how he instructs. It is a fun conversation. If you like what you hear, please hit that follow button or better yet, share this episode with a friend. We have a bunch of cool interviews like this one to come, including episode number 100 where we will be joined by international best-selling author Seth Godin, who's making his second appearance on the show to promote his latest book. Until then, enjoy my conversation with Charlie Vinch. And remember, life is built, not born. Charlie Vinch, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, brother. For our listeners who may not be familiar with you and your work, who are you and what do you do? I'm a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. I'm a martial artist, and I help people change their lives through martial arts. I want to get into your journey through martial arts. One, jiu-jitsu. I've seen firsthand how high-level your jiu-jitsu is. Incredible. Also, two, your Muay Thai, man. I know I remember back in the day at Balance, you were the Muay Thai instructor especially right around the Lex Friedman days, man, like 2015, 14, yep. you're running the Muay Thai class. You had a big following there. You're opening up your second school in Florida. want to touch base on that. But before we do that, I want to start back all the way from the beginning. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Lawrence, New Jersey, which is probably about a half an hour from Philly. I find like 10, 12 years old, like a very formative time in people's lives. This is a microcosm of like when their childhood becomes their teenage years. I also find the dinner table a microcosm of your life at the moment. Mm -hmm. When you think back to like 10, 12 years old, what did the dinner table look like for you? Who was there? What was going on? Man, I got, I'll just be brutally honest because that's who I am. At some point, both of my sisters were, and it would be my dad and my mom would be sitting there, but she would be like, sitting on the edge of her seat because my dad is a very he's calmed down a lot but my dad is a very uh what's the word i'm looking for here he's a very like he's super blue collar worker right and he grew up his whole life in a business that his dad's dad's dad started back in 1920. so it's trash business recycling trash and dumpsters and the dude works super physically hard, right? He manual labor, like he's, oh, he's grew up his whole life, just busting his ass in all kinds of weather, as you know, in Philadelphia, New Jersey area, sometimes it's freezing cold and you're outside and sometimes it's really hot. So mostly, you know, when my dad would come home, he would be some kind of way, you know, he would be, I don't know if he's pissed off or he's mad or he's just like, didn't really, you, we, nobody really said anything at the dinner table. It was like all the kids had to be quiet, right? And if if we weren't quiet at the table, he would blow up. And he had my mom like trained. It was like, where's my water? Where's the salt? And that's why she was like on the edge of the seat. So for us as kids, seeing other kids and their families growing up different at the dinner table, I look back on this. I'm like, this probably wasn't normal, mm -hmm. quote unquote. And we can get into that more, how that shaped me as a martial artist. But uh, yeah, it was a weird, it was very awkward. I never felt super comfortable. I'll be honest. So that's what the dinner table looked like. No, I appreciate you sharing that. I can see that a little bit, like definitely a little bit different in my upbringing, but coming from like the old school Italian mindset, my yes. grandparents came from, Cis from Italy and 
like it was like the kids should be seen and not heard. And they yes. were more like they were more like helpers. Now it's like the, the kids run the house. But back then it's like go cut the grass, pull the weeds, get me my chicken, yeah, don't yeah. talk. And, yeah, and now yeah. it's like, oh, I can't eat. I gotta take my kid to practice and watch the practice, then pick them up yeah. from practice and take their friends to go get Rita's water ice. And you know what I mean? It's so it's like the kids run the show now where the adults ran the show like a generation ago, right? Fuck so yeah. true. I remember I used to drop my fork. I would just like eat too quick and I drop my fork and make a loud noise and everybody just stare at you like you yeah. did something wrong. Like it wouldn't yeah. even notice now. Like now it wouldn't even be like a thing. So crazy. And could you imagine if you spilled a drink? Like if you oh my knocked, God. Oh my I God. Get I get smacked. You get knocked out. Like it's like yep. you get knocked out in the second round. It's, yep. How about thinking back in that, in that particular time frame? What's the most powerful memory of your childhood? Uh, good or bad? Let's go both. We'll start good and go bad. Give me the best good one. Let's see. Uh, the best good childhood memory. Wow. I feel like I got more bad ones than good ones, but we'll we'll try to get a good one going. I think it was, I don't know if it's one particular thing, but what really kind of jazzed me up or got me going that I had a lot of fun with is when I got to connect with my friends yeah. and skateboarding and inline aggressive skating. Yeah. It was like a big thing when I was really young and I yeah. got to go skateboard with my friends on my own. Like my parents would drop us off at like in Princeton or different areas. And then we got to be like on our own and skateboard and hang out and go get lunch. That was probably some of the best times of my life because I felt like I was kind of getting a little bit independent at that yeah. time. Sure. And, you know, me and all my buddies, we'd, we'd get to have guy talk and we would eat lunch and and do stupid stuff on our skateboards and hurt each other but then after we would kind of all laugh about it and then we would go out at night together and it was like oh man those are some of the best times of my life so true that's so great i never skateboarded really but i inline skated when that was a thing back in the day and um used to go down kelly drive kelly drive and west river drive by the art museum kind of like jujitsu where when you're inline skating in a crowd you got to be present moment focused. Like you are on the mat because if you're not, you're going to get choked out, submitted, arm barred. But like when you're inline skating and there's people coming at you, passing you, going slow, cars pulling out, like you got to be dialed at that moment, right? Like you, like it takes all the worry and stress of the day away and you're nothing but skating for that hour. You know what I mean? It's a great mind clearer. Does that make sense? Yeah, you got to be present, right? Yeah, but present moment. I think that's one of the biggest gifts of jujitsu, which we'll get to in a second. But you mentioned mm-hmm. the bad. Would you mind sharing, like, when you think of your child, you say like, bad memories? Like, what pops in the head? What comes to your mind? Man, just uh, my my dad being an explosive maniac who's like, listen, I mean, you talk to other kids, you know, now or even kids in our age range and. Kids didn't grow up like me. I don't care what you think your dad did. I promise you, you did not grow up like me. And I'll give you guys an example right now. I'll give you an example right now. I used to try to smoke cigarettes upstairs, like at the house and like, and kind of hide it. And my dad used to flip out. And sometimes I would do it when he wasn't home, which is weird. It's like, why didn't I just go outside and do it? It was, it was stupid. It was like, now that I'm thinking about it, like, it's stupid, right? So he used to say this. He used to say, and I want you to guess what he would say. I'll, first, I want you to guess what the majority of dads would have said, and then I'll tell you what my dad said. Okay. Um, he would say, if you're smoking and the house catches on fire, what do you think the majority of parents would say to their kids? Get out of the house. That's not the first thing my dad said. You know what he said? He said, if the house catches on fire... Let it burn the fuck down because I don't want the fire company coming and putting the half the house out and I got to renovate the rest. He's like, let that fucker burn to the ground so we can collect the insurance money and don't fuck around in the house. If I catch you smoking, I'm going to beat your fucking ass. Like who's, who's dad says that? Like it wasn't get out of the house. You're in trouble. It was let that fucking thing burn to the ground. <laughs> So I collect the insurance money. <laughs> no need for a rehab project. You know what I mean? No rehab project needed. That's just that's like, that's, He's like, I don't want any more fucking work. Let that <laughs> fucking thing burn to the ground. Let it go, man. Let the thing go to the ground. Wow. So like, right? I'll give you another example. Yeah. So I used to work demolition with my dad and we would work in the city of Trenton, New Jersey. Okay. And for those of you that don't know, you can just Google Trenton, New Jersey. 
It is not the best city. It, usually it makes top five most dangerous cities in America every single year. Trenton and Camden are like not great places. Okay. I would consider Trenton just as bad as Camden, right? So Joe, you get where I'm going with this? I got you. Oh yeah. Been there. Been there both. Okay. So there, there's a lot of industry there. There used to be, and they get a lot of demo work in the city because of that's where my grandfather started the business in 1920. In Trenton, New Jersey, because there was a lot of industry and they they just have a good connection with the city, right? So they do demolition. So my dad's doing demolition one day. We're tearing down this building in a, in a really bad neighborhood. And I'm sitting there, I'm watering like the, the, uh, the house because he's tearing it down and we had to keep the dust down. And there's cops a couple blocks down chasing who looks like Debo. Like they're chasing this dude. They're trying to tase him. They're screaming after this guy. He starts getting closer to us. What do you think a normal dad would do if he saw a, a big ex-felon running towards where you're going and the cops are behind? They, he would sit right the fuck where he was and not do shit, right? <laughs> He'd be scared to death. What does my dad do? He jumps out of the machine and tackles the guy. Wow. And holds him on the ground until the cops until the cops catch up. Really? Damn. I'm like, this dude's nuts. Like, he's either dumb or nuts. Like, I, I couldn't figure it out. He never wrestled before. He never did jujitsu or any shit. But he fucking tackled this dude and held him on the ground. I was scared and held him on the ground until the cops catch up. The cops were so thankful. Like, they're like, you know how long we've been trying to chase this guy? He has like five murders and we've been chasing this guy forever. Whoa. Then the guy, wait, this. The guys who work for my dad live in the neighborhood of Trenton, New Jersey. You know what they told my dad? They're like, you don't even know who that dude is. He's like some big gangbanger. They're like, you you fucked up. You tackle this guy. What do you think my dad said? He's like, I don't care. Wow. Anything ever come of that? Like, did that guy ever, like, look for your dad? Or no, like, no, no, no. Nothing. No, the guy's probably still in jail. The guy's probably still in jail. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. Wow. What a badass. So that's why I'm saying most of the listeners out there, you guys haven't grown up like me. Your dad wasn't my dad. I promise he wasn't. Okay. Uh, like, how, I, I promise he wasn't. Wow. So how about if someone asked the 18-year-old version of Charlie Vinch, what do you want him to be when he grew up? What would the 18-year-old version of you say? 18-year-old version of me would have probably said something like, I don't know what I want to be, but whatever I do, I'm going to do, I'll, like, I'll be really successful. That's probably, I remember telling my high school teacher that they're like, what are you going to do? And just like with utter confidence, I was like, I don't know, but whatever I do, like, I'm just going to be really good at it. Like, I don't need you to prep me on what you think I should be doing here. But that's probably what I would have said. And Joe, I'll be honest, when I was that age, I was just arrogant and, mm -hmm. you know, a little bit, a little bit cocky. But yeah, that's probably the answer of what I would have said. Awesome. So what point does jujitsu or martial arts come into your life? How did you get connected with them? So martial arts was really a big thing when I was very young. And I've talked about this on other podcasts before. Growing up, when you see the karate kid or you see kickboxer or the Rocky, those were like the inspirations for me when I was younger of the guy who was down and out, who made the comeback, the, the Rocky climb or the karate kid comeback, or he got to train and then he became strong. And I really got into martial arts, Joe, because not only because um, my dad was short fused and I felt like, man, I need something to protect myself with physically, but also because I was bullied in the neighborhood. I was the youngest kid in my neighborhood and I got bullied all the time, physically, mentally. And it's just like, I felt like I could never escape it. Right. It was like, I'm at home and I'm like cutting the air with like a knife where I'm like, man, this tension is really big here. Like, I hope somebody doesn't blow up and try to hurt me. Like, as like, you know, my dad, but then it's like, I leave and I go play with the kids and then they beat me up and physically beat me up and they make fun of me. So it's like, I have, I have nowhere to feel great at. And I just remember watching those movies and I was like, I need martial arts right now because, you know, I, I need something to, to help me mentally and physically. So finally, after begging my parents for years and years and years, I was able to sign up for what's called Jeet Kune Do, which is like Bruce Lee's fighting method. Yeah. I started that when I was 13. So you start when you're 13 
get there. So you're training Jeet Kune Do, you're doing yep. that. At what point does Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, what came first, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu or Muay Thai? What came first in your life? So interesting. The guy that I had trained with at Prince of Martial Arts, his name's Rip Tucci. At that time, so I'm 38, close to 40. When I was training, I was 13. Okay. So 13 minus 38 is what? I don't know. 25. Let's call it 25 years. 25 years ago, this guy, Rick Tucci, had a blue belt under Higa Machado. Uh-huh. And he would teach Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu a little bit. He had shoot wrestling because he was under Eric Paulson. He was Dan Inosanto's, like, he was certified under Dan Inosanto for JKD. And then I also, he incorporated some college. So I got to do a little bit of everything immediately as a 13-year-old. Awesome. So that's kind of where grappling, I want to call it grappling, because we would do gi with jujitsu, but then we'd do shoot wrestling, which is no gi, and we'd add some strikes in there. So that's where my quote-unquote grappling base had started. What was your first introduction to a BJJ school? First real introduction to Brazilian jiu-jitsu was with at Ricardo Almeida's in Hamilton, New Jersey. And it's when I really wanted to start breaking into the MMA scene more. So like I had a great striking background, but my grappling, like just my pure grappling wasn't great. So I needed to incorporate it. So he had an MMA team. So I started with pure Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu there. Gotcha. How'd you finally get connected to uh, Phil and Rick McWherry's balance? Through Emily Walk. I don't know if you know who she is. Emily yeah. Walk owns Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. She's a Marcelo Garcia black belt. She was one of the instructors at Ricardo Almeida's. And then we kind of all had left together. And she was like, hey, I'm thinking about going to balance. I was ready to quit martial arts at that time because I was just like, I don't feel like traveling to Philly. And we kind of had a fallout at Ricardo's and a lot of people left. And I was just like, you know what? I think I'm going to be done with it. I don't, I don't just, I don't want to do it anymore. But she was like, no, I think you should give him a chance. And if you like it, stick with it. She's like, if not, don't. So she was going to Philadelphia and I would go with her. And that's how we got linked up with Rick and Phil. So you're training Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. So now you have Budo Martial Arts, like two locations, one in Jersey, one open up in Florida. At what point did you go from, I like training BJJ to like, I want to open up my own academy? How'd that happen? So before I was with... Brick and Phil, I used to teach Muay Thai at my buddy uh, Eric Purcell's school in Langhorn. It's called NPR Endurance. And Eric is one of the first guys to have a pure mixed martial arts school in the area. I mean, we're talking about like 10 years ago, maybe even more. So he asked me, he's like, hey, can you teach striking at my school? And at the time, I, I, I was, and we can go into it later about the hip surgery. I was going through hip problems. I was like, I had hip issues. So I had some hip issues and I wasn't fighting anymore at that time. So he was like, hey, would you teach striking for me? And I was like, yeah, sure. So I ended up teaching and found out that I enjoy teaching and giving more than I do taking. Because as a fighter, you need to be selfish. And as an instructor, you need to be not selfish. So I was conflicting because I was like, oh, I want to be a fighter. And I was had all these MMA fights and I was going to, going to go pro. And I had a title fight before I was going to go pro. But the injury prohibited me from training a lot and becoming the, the person I wanted to the MMA world. So we kind of like switched gears into teaching, but not because I wanted to. But it was more of like, well, I guess it's here. Like, I'll do it. But then I found out I really love it. And then the love for teaching turned into... I want to open up my own place. Your MMA career. So I saw like maybe around 2009, right? You went pro, yeah. had a fight, yeah. won by knockout. Then you fought maybe about a, roughly a year later and lost. So talk about your MMA career. How much did injuries yeah. play into things and how it started and how you knew it was wrapping up? So it started when I was probably about 19 or so. I was training at Team Rhino Fight Team, which is in Times River, New Jersey, which was a guy named Rob Greeno. Rob Greeno was one of the first guys ever to have a pure MMA team in Jersey. So like Frankie Edgar and a lot of these other guys had started with Rhino Fight Team. Actually, Rob Greeno, when he was in his 20s, so like 20, 25 years ago, 
he would go out to California and train with Tito Ortiz, and then he would come back and show MMA moves and get the MMA circuit in the on the East Coast a little bit more pumped up. I would train with Rob, 19 years old, would go out to Tom's River, New Jersey, three three times a week, sometimes four, and just started to get in my MMA fights as much as I could. And then where it started to kind of wrap up was when I incurred the injuries, where I had a title fight. I lost my title fight. I think I was like four amateur fights in, lost my title fight in Atlantic City, but I was ready to fight again. And I remember working at GNC in Philadelphia on Delaware Ave. And I was like, oh, my hip kind of feels like weird. It was like this really weird feeling. I was like, ah, you know, I'm young. So I'm like, I don't care what that is. That was like the beginning of the end of a hip labral tear. Wow, really? Yeah. What'd that feel like? Man, that's nasty. Like, like the weirdest thing, it's like you feel something inside of your hip, but you can't superficially like push on it and go out like, oh, that feels better. Or like, yeah, this feels great. And eventually it feels like something's catching inside of your hip. You can feel it like catch and you're like, ow. And then it turns into once your cartilage is gone, it turns into when you start hitting bone on bone in certain areas. Look, it feels like electric. Like it feels like electric is running through your body. Like you, you'll get to a spot and be like, ah, like you can't step. When did you start feeling that those type of electric shocks? At what age? So I guess I was probably about 25 and I would still train. I was like, oh, I, I'm, I'm training for another fight. Like, I'm trying to get ready for the next fight. So after the title fight, I feel this little hip thing. Every week and every month, I would keep training and I would just keep like, ah, like my hip hurts. And then I would cut back on training or stop doing something. And then I'd go back and do it hard again. And then it just got to the point over the year or two years, or whatever it was, to the point where it hurt so bad that I was like, something's not right. Like, mm-hmm. I need yeah. to go to the doctor. When you have something to that degree, how do you handle it? Well, initially through your health insurance, they want you to go to physical therapy first. So I went to physical therapy. And when that didn't work, I went to a guy in Philadelphia who was going to do like a labral repair, it's called. Yeah. And so he did some labral repair. And then after the labral repair, it didn't fix it. Really? And then I had to get hip resurfacing done. Wow. So not a replacement resurface. What is that? What's that? Almost, almost the same thing as replacement. Like after that happens, how long are you out of commission for? Fuck. Wow, man. I yeah, mean, I, I mean, just I had both done at the same time. Did you both hips? Damn. I did both hips at the same time. Wow. So how long are you out of commission for after that? Like not training or just yeah. like everyday everyday life? How about everyday life? How quick can you get back to everyday life? Four months. Okay. How about training? I didn't feel good for a year, bro. No doubt, man. I mean, we had points where it was so slow where I'd feel like I'm okay. I'd like, I had this whole, this is a good reminder for me too, for life in general. I had the smallest goals you could possibly think of. I had both hips done it at the same time. So one of the goals would be to be able to just sit up out of bed yeah, put feet on the ground and hold on to something and then sit back down and do it again. Like that was a milestone. That That's was huge. Like, yep. That was huge. And then next it was like walk to the kitchen and then walk back. And then the next one, it was like be able to sit down on the toilet myself. Because when you have your hips messed up, you can't bend at your hips the way that you think you can. Like it's yeah. it's so debilitating. People have no idea. It's so degrading to your your internal mind that it's like i used to be this person now like just 24 hours ago i was walking okay and now i can't do shit like i can't go to the bathroom myself i can't shower myself i can't even get up out of the bed it got to the point where you can't go to the bathroom like you can't get up and walk it makes you have gratitude for the simple things in life right i've been on the mat with you you're a total badass but like at some point after that surgery, you can't get out of bed. I blew my knee out in jujitsu. I had to get ACL surgery and I was out for like 10 months, like flat out. And like for two, three weeks, you can't do anything. Like getting out of bed's hard. And like, I went from, like you said, three weeks before, like, oh, I can't believe that dude a foot taller than me caught me in this triangle. Or I can't believe I didn't submit that blue belt today. Like being pissed at that and thinking about that for an hour during the day. 
to like, oh, I hope I don't fall down the steps of my crutches. I wonder if I can get the mail today with my crutches, you know, and I can mm-hmm. go down the three steps. And that was like a big thing, like three days after the surgery, I can walk out and get my own mail. And it's, it's so amazing that the little things you take for granted, but you have such gratitude for when the simple things are taken away, right? It's a perspective changer, isn't it? Well, I, there, there is never a time in my life, Joe, where I was so grateful to just have simple things like you said, and I appreciated them more than ever because I had so much taken away from me, but I was able to appreciate the things that I did have. And that's really a mind shift, right? We'll get a lot of stuff taken away from them and don't know how to have gratitude and they go the reverse. I remember one of the milestones, this is so funny that you're saying this. One of the milestones was to be able to walk outside down mm-hmm. my step. That's huge. And sit down in a like a outside chair and just sit in the sun. Mm-hmm. And my cousin brought me a Slurpee. I, I was like, Living. bro, I was on cloud nine. Yeah. I was sitting You're in Hawaii. In yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're on the beach in Hawaii. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, you can't believe it. It's just such, like, it's a game. Like, oh my gosh, I'm outside. I'm in the fresh air. I can get up and nothing hurts. It's so crazy how quick you go from, I want to submit that guy. Or like, damn it, that guy submitted me. Like, you're mad at yourself. And then you go to, wow, I'm so happy I can walk outside (laughs) and sit down on my own. It's crazy how fast life changes. I think it's Tony Robbins or someone says, like, you can't be grateful and fearful and you can't be grateful and angry at the same time. Like, gratitude erases anger. Gratitude erases fear. And when when you actually have the awareness to be grateful for the simple things, your life's so much better, isn't it? Like it's just, life just goes better. I I totally agree with that. But something that I I say a lot, and uh, it's something that I have on my, I have a, it's called a black belt mindset course. And it's everything that me and you were just, the stuff that I did during those times, I would say for me in my lifetime, this was one of the worst times of my life when I had Mm -hmm. to go through this was being able to tap into gratitude. And when you can tap into it, I'm not saying it's easy for your li- for listeners. I'm not telling you it's easy. Mm-hmm. But if you get still and you, there's a way to do it, and I can talk about it if you want to. There's yeah. a way that you can tap into gratitude that I've learned through Tony Robbins at his seminars Yeah, where it becomes a little bit easier. Do you want to talk about it? Yeah, let's go. Go ahead. Bring it. Okay. So we can do it together. We'll do it together? Yeah, let's go. All right. So eyes closed, both hands on your heart. And just breathe nice and relaxed. And now think about a time in your life when you were absolutely taken back by a magical moment. Maybe it was your kid being born. Maybe it was you and your wife. Maybe it was you and your friend. And think about that moment like you're there right now. And keep breathing into your heart. And imagine the smells, the smiles, the sounds, and the feels of that moment. And keep breathing. Smile the way you smiled at that time. Breathe the way you breathed at that time. And feel the things that you felt at the time as if it's happening right now. And Joe, when we do this, you can really tap into gratitude and slow yourself down. And for me, that moment for me is when I brought my daughter to this amusement park in New Jersey, it's called Fantasy Island. And when I saw her face as a three-year-old get on one of those little spinny, like fake boat things. It was magical for me. I can smell the smells. I can see the place. I can see her face. I remember it like it was yesterday. And the way that we do it is because focus equals feeling like Tony says. So when we think about gratitude, like, oh yeah, I'm grateful for this thing or for that thing. But when you put yourself really back into that moment by closing your eyes, putting your hands on your heart, 
Tony calls it your brain and your heart are syncing up and your, your heart has hormones. And when it syncs up with your brain simultaneously, it allows you to kind of like, I don't want to talk exactly scientifically, but it, it lets you be kind of whole. And correct me if I'm wrong, Joe, if I just had you do the exercise and you did it, did you really feel like you were at that place at that time? I did. I was into it. I closed my eyes. I, I went back to a spot. I actually went back to the spot where where my third child, my daughter was born. And the reason why I go there is that when she was born, we found she was healthy. We're there. And I, I knew my family was complete. Like that was, we weren't having any more kids. There was third kid, had two boys, a girl. I'm like, this is my family. Like I got a family of three kids. This is my family. And I'm here to help lead and raise them and be part of their journey to adulthood. And if it started right there, like in the hospital, and I felt that feeling, it was real. Actually, for a moment there, like I, you were there, like you, you, you can go back there, especially when you close your eyes, because you close your eyes, yes. kind of takes out all the distractions. Robbins is a force of nature, isn't he? He set Robbins oh, up, such a force of nature. Amazing. When amazing. He, if you listen to him for five minutes on the right topic, like he just hits home, doesn't he? He's a force of nature. It's the only way I can put it. He's so pure and so raw yes. that I don't think there's anybody else out there who would say, like, when he speaks, he really speaks from the heart. All of his being is there. And when he says something, the conviction that he brings behind it and the way that he personifies it, he believes every single ounce of every single thing that he says with no bullshit. He believes it with all of his heart and his mind and his body. And that's what makes him, in my opinion, one of the best, we'll call it personal motivators in the world. Because I watch these other guys and they talk to like, yeah, if you can't do this thing, then you do that thing. And honestly, Tony Robbins has been around since the 80s. Forever. Okay. And uh, I don't remember it because I was I was only a baby, but he's been around since the 80s. And all of these new age entrepreneurs and self-help people all learned off of Tony Robbins. I mean, you can't say that they didn't because he's been in business for 50 years. 50 yeah, sure, years. sure. He just can get under your skin a certain way and force you to take action and make it re-examine certain things. He's the one like really brought me back to gratitude. I, I listened to something, I think over COVID or something he was doing. And he said, you can't be angry and grateful or, or fearful and grateful. And if ever yeah. I find myself like pissed off or I would say scared, but like anxious about what's about to happen, you just think about what you're grateful for. I'm like, oh, I'm grateful for this. I'm grateful for that. And then you you really feel it. And you're like, you know what? The fear goes away. Anxiety goes away. Thanks for sharing Absolutely. that. How about, let's go jujitsu. I've seen you teach Muay Thai. I've seen you on the mountain jujitsu. What do you think are some of the benefits, like life lessons that you learned on the jujitsu mat that you carry out into your life? So I want to speak on martial arts and then I'll get into particular benefits of jujitsu. You get to know about yourself. And you really get to bring out a part of you that maybe you didn't know that you had. A good instructor can bring out the dog in you. And I, I told my instructor, actually, my first instructor ever, Rick Tucci, came to my studio in New Jersey before I left for here to Florida. I got teary-eyed and I was teaching a seminar at my studio. And I told everybody, I said, Rick brought out the dog in me when I was a 13-year-old when I didn't know I had it in me. And that is the absolute best thing that he could have done for me as a teenager who was lost, who was bullied as a kid, who felt a little insecure, who was a little scared of life. He brought the dog out of me. And the biggest thing that I think martial arts can do for us is they can bring, Tony calls it like an archetype. It can bring a certain archetype out of you that you didn't know that you had. And that you think that somebody else just has it because that's the way they're born. Mm -hmm. That's not you. Where martial arts can help bring that archetype out, the archetype mm -hmm. that you need in order to thrive or be happy in life. The martial arts introduces you to yourself. And it's the self that that's maybe just not at the surface. It puts you in such uncomfortable situations and it forces you to grow. And like when you're in growth, all the different things come out, worry, anxiety, fear, anger, all the things when you're being pushed to your limits to get introduced to people. That's why if you would live next door to someone and say hi to them at the mailbox for 10 years, you would know them better if you rolled with them for five minutes on the mat. 
you would know that person better what they were like than if you just had casual conversations with them for five years. Like five minutes of rolling on the mat, right? Bell rings, you slap hands and you roll. You would get to know who that person is better than with, with a bunch of casual conversations. Yeah, for sure. Like the more you train, I just think the more you handle stress, anxiety, and uncertainty better. For sure. Stress and anxiety and uncertainty when you move your body. Like Tony says, motion creates emotion. And emotion is the strongest force in the human archetype. When you emotionally, when you are emotionally charged about something, or you are emotionally fired up about a certain thing, or you're going to do something, how likely are you to do that thing? 100%. You're going to be all in and do it. Yeah. So a lot of people haven't moved their body enough or don't know how to move it, like you said, to get uncomfortable, to then create an emotion that they can use later on in life for their anxiety, their stress, or knowing that they have the capacity or that dog in them, utilize those things that they learn in martial arts outside of life. So example, let's just say a guy named John goes to work and at the end of the day, he just feels like he can't do that extra paper or that extra thing because he's just, yeah, I'm just too tired. Like I can't do it. So maybe the metaphor is he goes to martial arts and his coach is like, John, I know you're tired right now, but I need you to push for one more round. And John's like, no, I can't do it. I'm just too tired. And his coach is like, you know, you need to do this. You have to do this. And he's like, damn, fine. Like my coach has asked me to do it. He ends up pushing through that round. He's like, wow, I did better than I thought. I really wasn't. I didn't know that I could do that thing. So now he may be able to carry that over into his work life. He may be able to carry that over into energy for his kids. He may be able to carry that over for when he's with his wife, when he feels tired. He's able to create the same emotions and the character development that he does in martial arts, and he just transfers them to real life. It's just such a gift. It's so uncomfortable too. Like this morning, we trained this morning. And I knew I was going to roll with a couple dudes and everyone's got their struggles. Me, everyone's freaking a hundred pounds heavier than me. And we're rolling. And I know there's two or three dudes I'm going to go with. And it's like 530 in the morning and I'm getting ready for class. I'm like, wow, I don't want to do this. <laughs> do this. Go out in the dark and start yeah. with these guys that are so good and they're 80 pounds heavier than me. But then once you get there, it's fun and you roll and it's just brings your life. I think it just gives you a quality of life that you wouldn't have without it. That's you have the courage to step on the mat and do that. For sure. For sure. The courage is the big thing, right? The courage to do something that you know is hard, but you do it anyway. Let's switch over to a part of the interview we call share your secrets. So our guests can get to know you more as a person. Mm-hmm. Of all the things you went through, what's the biggest challenge you ever faced? The hip surgery. Yeah. If there's a lesson you learned from that, that whole process, what you learn? A couple. One is that my mind is stronger than I think it is. And I have control over the way and the things that I focus on. If I do a certain routine or we'll call it, or I do set things, I can put myself into a better mind frame and focus through just a couple of different things, right? A couple of different tools. I think my favorite Robin's quote is he always says, where your focus goes, your energy flows. Uh, amen. Yeah. And that's so real. And you just backed it up right there. You got a lot going on. You got your family. You got two martial arts schools. You just moved across the country. When you need to clear your mind and recharge your body, what do you do? If I need a complete recharge, I like to get like a massage or something where my mind is not able to think and where my 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 body is not really moving. So like hot tub, massage, sauna, something where we'll call it like the internal chatter yeah. really gets slowed down. So anything where my body and my mind are like just doing absolutely nothing my mental chatter gets to like nothing that voice in your head could be your best friend or your worst enemy right but one of the best i've ever read is called the untethered soul it's about like the voice in our head yeah and uh, i suggest it to all your readers i i think it's amazing yeah it's funny my next question was going to be what book changed your mind more than any other so you're saying the untethered soul the untethered soul is definitely one of them the the book that set me up on my entrepreneurial 
like road that really was, this was a life changer. It's called The Magic of Thinking Big. After I read that book, my David Schwartz. Ferris, you know who Oh, yeah. He's, yeah. he's probably who I based my podcast after. Ferris is the so, guy. So, love that dude. Yeah. I've wanted to be Tim Ferris for the last 10 years. He just has the coolest guests. He has the greatest questions. And like, uh, he, like, he has someone on that's on 10 different podcasts and they reveal things to him that they don't say in the other nine podcasts. Are you familiar with Derek Sivers? No. He's an author and he was just on Tim Ferriss's podcast and about maybe two, three mm -hmm. weeks ago. And The Magic of Thinking Big was his book. And he speaks of what he learned from that book. But after I read that book, that was a game changer for me. And there was one particular line in that book that I was like, that's, that's it. That's it. I'm going to now be an entrepreneur. And what's the line? Do you remember the line? I, of course I do. I remember like it was yesterday. Yeah, what is it? He said something in the book. He said, I want you to think of somebody who's successful in life right now. He said, think of that person, you know, a couple of people and where you want to be successful. I'm like, okay, I got a couple of people. One, two, three, four. Okay. And now I want you to think, is that person really that much smarter than you? Mm -hmm. And my immediate answer was like, no way. I'm like, yeah. I'm way smarter than that dude. I know way more than he does in that area. And then he said, the only reason that that person is doing what they want to be doing is because they've took action. And you can take action too. You're already smarter. You know you can do more. So why don't you just take action and you can be doing what they're doing. They're succeeding and you're smarter. You can do it. And I was yeah. like, fuck that. I'm doing it. Go get it, man. Seriously. And, and it's funny, there's Steve Jobs in a couple interviews. I'm a big Steve Jobs fan before he died. He was talking, he basically said, everything that you ever seen invented, the majority of the stuff was invented by people no smarter than you. It's just they took risks, they had ideas, and they did crazy stuff. And people said they were crazy 12 times and they kept going. Pretty cool. Most successful people like yourself have a routine, either to start their day or to wrap things up. What's either the first 60 or last 60 minutes of your day look like? What's your routine look like? So when it's not the weekend, because I usually watch my kids on the weekend, uh -huh. I like to do either a walk. Uh, it's called Tony Robbins Power Hour, where my focus goes. So this yeah. this goes along with like how to control my focus. Yeah. And a lot of people like Mel Robbins and Tony Robbins, Les Brown, have all talked about the RAS and our brain, the reticular activating system yep. Yep. is like whatever you get funneled into your brain, that first 30 to 60 minutes is exactly mm -hmm. what you're going to be thinking about consistently or feel. And yeah. it's so true. Like it's so, so true. And then the last 30 to 60 minutes before you go to bed, those are the things that you're going to be thinking about. And I'm going to give you a great example. Me and my daughter, she plays, it's called Roblox. Do you know? No, what my daughter plays the same thing. Yep. All right. So my daughter plays it. I got an account. So me and her played together. We were playing something and she kept saying on the game, we were doing the game. She was like, oh, dad, I died. Oh, no, now you died. And now you died. Guess what I had a dream about last night? You, you died. <laughs> I, I was, we were in a haunted house and somebody was trying to kill us and we were going to die. <laughs> like, that's literally what I dreamed about the whole night. It's so when head. I woke up, so when I woke up, how do you think my nervous system felt right when I woke up? Freaking nuts. I'm like, fuck, are we going to die? It's so true. I'm, I'm with you. Like my first 20 minutes of the day is reading something positive, inspirational. It's almost like if there's like dirt on the ground, if you don't throw grass seed in, weeds are going to pop up, right? If you don't do anything, I'm going to start the day with uh, CNN or Fox News. I'm going to see what blew up in California, see what exploded in Europe and see who got shot in Philly. You do that, like your whole mindset is, I don't say ruined, but it's on a direction. That's what you're going to attract the whole day. That's what you're going to be thinking of the whole day. But you start it with something positive and something inspirational, something you're grateful for. I just think you start your day, your day goes in a different direction. You, 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 don't you think? I'll link that book to the show notes. But Priming, if you just put Tony Robbins priming in YouTube, yeah. he has this breathing exercise that he does and you close your eyes, he does some gratitude and stuff. So I'll do that, walking, and then followed by that, I'll listen to audiobook for 10 or 15 minutes. And then I focus my day on where I want to go. What happens with me sometimes that I have to be mindful of is if you jump on... Instagram or Facebook, yep. that will drag you down a hole. And I don't know what kind of hole it's dragging you down, but it takes your attention away from what you should really be focusing on.
without a doubt, because it's just it's made up by people way smarter than us. Mm-hmm. And they can just the one reel goes to the next reel, goes to the next reel. And you've been on it enough. Anyone's been on it enough that they know what your interests are. And like, I find myself watching way too many jujitsu videos. All right. It is jujitsu, jujitsu, jujitsu. Then family guy comes on. Then it's Eagle highlights, Philadelphia Eagle highlights. And like, next thing I know, I'm there for like 17 minutes watching the Philly special again from the Super Bowl. I'm like, I, I don't need to see this. I'm glad it happened, but I don't need to see this for the 7,000th time to start Monday. You know what I mean? Like you said, you just got to be a little more purposeful how you start the day. How about this? What would you say to someone out there that's maybe thinking about stepping on the jujitsu mat or taking a Muay Thai class and maybe needs a positive change in their life, but they're just afraid to step on the mat and they're a little intimidated? What would you say to them? I like the one of the quotes that we had talked about that you're going to be dead on 30, 50, 60 years from now anyway. Nobody's going to remember if you embarrassed yourself or you sucked or you didn't do good. Nobody's going to remember that. Know that taking the first step to get into your class is the hardest step. And once you accomplish that, it's downhill from there as far as like ease-wise goes. And uh, don't be scared because anything and everything that you think is going to happen to you has already happened to somebody else. You, so it's, you're not unique. That you are not unique. <laughs> Sorry, but you're not. I mean, if you you're think not, you're not. not, that's so true. You're not special. Oh my god. What do you think? What do you think would happen to you that it hasn't happened to somebody else in the past 40 or 50 years? Like, give me a scenario, please. Like, I'm all ears. You might get tapped out. Guess what? We all been no, tapped out. Yeah, you might. nobody's <laughs> ever got tapped out before. <laughs> Nobody ever sweat too much. Nobody ever lost their hairband. Nobody's pants ever came half down. Like I can think of a million things that I've seen before. Oh, dude. I mean, so much happens. Like I lost my wedding ring. I took it off once. It like disappeared. And then another time I put, I, I started wearing those silicon bands that like the people started wearing. I got my ass kicked so bad, but I think it was Drew Vogel. So bad that my ring came off. Like literally the ring was ripped off my finger and I couldn't find it. And after I lost it for the third time, I'm like, I'm out. No more wedding ring. So funny. Charlie, if you could have everyone listening take one lesson away from everything we discussed, what would that lesson be? You're going to die one day. And Sadly enough, there will be some people, once we go through a couple of generations, who will not know who you are and forget who you are. So enjoy what you're doing now. Spend time with your family and your loved ones. Have the best life because in a couple of generations, everything that we love and we do, it will be forgotten even through the people that we know. So go out and do what you want to do. That's right out of ancient wisdom. Are you familiar with Marcus Aurelius and meditations? And in his book, like he wrote to himself, Hadrian, Tiberius, where are they now? Gone, forgotten. Like the emperor of Rome, who was like a god and had literally ran the most powerful empire ever. Like two emperors later, no one remembered them. Like they were gone. Like they ran the world and no one could care less. Like they don't even visit their grave anymore. Yeah. Like it's the, Yeah. So like when you're here, it's game on and go make it happen. And if you fail at something good, go fail at something else. You know what I mean? No one's going to remember. How about this? Nope. Uh, yeah, everybody's gonna, dude. Everybody's gonna forget. Think about how short term, how everybody's short term memory already is. How about this? If here's a fun one. If you could spend the day with anyone, historical figure, family member, famous person, alive or dead, who would you spend the day with? Tony Robbins. What would you do? I'd ask him about. I would ask him, hey, Tony, what do you think? Where's the gap between right now of where I am and where I want to be? What's missing? What am I not doing? That's what I'm going to ask him. That's a great question. What do, you, what, do you, what do you see that I don't see? Like, where's the gap? That's a, that's a great question to ask a coach. Where's the gap? What do you see? Like, what, where am I at? Where I want to be? What's the in between? And how can you get through that? That's so good. How about this? We started speaking about. 12 years old at that dinner table in New Jersey, your mom at the edge of the seat, your dad kind of ruling the roost. If you could go back and talk to your sisters, mom and dad around that dinner table when you were 12 years old, what would you want to tell them? I would say, mom, you're a great mom. Don't worry. Dad's, you know, who he is. He's just a high-strung guy. 
I would tell my sisters, don't let this image of this man dictate that all men are like this in life. If you don't like this image of a man and you particularly want a different image of a man, don't go for this man of marriage if you're going to get married. Definitely go with something else if you don't like that. And then for my dad, I would say, if I could go back to him and say, was it really worth you being pissed off that much right now? Are you really happy with that? And I think uh, my dad is coming to a point right now where he's not that he he may be regretful of the way that he acted when he was younger, but I think there's a lot of resentment for himself and not taking different actions and doing certain things in his life. So I would say to him, I would say, dad, you know, are you really happy with the way that you're acting right now? Is this really the way that you want your kids and your wife to remember you? That's pretty powerful, man. Thank you for sharing that. How about last question, Charlie Vinch, if mm -hmm. you had to get a quote or a saying tattooed on your body, what would that quote or motto say? It's a Tony Robbins quote, but I love it. Life is happening for us, not to us. So every time you think something bad is happening, it's not happening to you. It's happening for you. So find the silver lining and what that thing is. I'll be honest, Joe, moving down here to Florida, I have had all kinds of circus hoops I've had to jump through now. And I thought things were going to go a certain way and they're going a different. There's always a silver lining to everything. But if you're not willing to explore it and be open, you will not be able to find it. Oh, that is great. Life is happening for us, not to us. That is right out of the Tony Robbins playbook. That is fantastic. Mm -hmm. Charlie Vinch, I would like to thank you for joining us. Oh, man, so great to share the mat with you a couple of years back. A balance, glad we stayed in touch. Love what you're doing on Instagram. If our listeners are looking for you and what you do online, where can we find you? So the Instagram is Charlie Vinch. That's where I'm most active. You guys can follow me on there or message me if you want to see some sort of certain kind of content. But recently, I've been putting out content that I think that the general martial artist should see and know, and that I, I need feedback. I want feedback. So message me on Instagram. It's just that Charlie Vinch and say, hey, I'd love to know about this, or I want to know about that. And if I don't know the answer, I'll tell you. But if I can answer it for you, I surely will. I will only speak on the things that I've done myself and have done or I've helped other people with. So Charlie Vinch on Instagram. That's why I'm most active. Yeah. I tell you what, you are quietly getting close to 30,000 followers. That's a lot of great content you're posting there and it's showing. I'll put your Instagram, the books we spoke about, your website on the show notes. So anyone looking for Charlie, just go to the show notes. So Charlie Vinch, dude, I wish you nothing but the best, brother. Thanks, Joe. You too. No, Thank you so much. Awesome. Hey, everyone. It's Joe. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed the episode. If you could, please give us a five-star rating on your podcast listening app, or better yet, share the episode with a friend. That really goes a long way of helping the podcast grow and connecting it with a bigger audience. Thanks so much. Talk soon.